Welcome to Bob Interbuildings. Tonight I continue looking at Douglas Promenade with Charles Gard and we are standing at the bottom of Broadway. One of the successes must be the renovation of the Manin Hotel. Yes, you've got to give Keith Lord tremendous credit for that. He did want to keep the original facade but um, technically it, it proved impossible. So what he's done is replace it with something almost exactly the same but has managed to incorporate the large entrance for cars to the car park at the back. And I think it's superb. I mean, it really respects the terrace of boarding houses beyond it, and of course below it here, this magnificent red brick building, the Central. That is the building of the prom, as far as I'm concerned. It is superb. And years ago, I suppose 15 years ago, it was extended and refurbished, and what a splendid job they've done. Uh, it's apartments, of course. It was a hotel and a pub but uh, they've done a brilliant job. And in front of it is a wide space of pavement. And until probably the 70s, there was a, a building there that had been there since Victorian times. And it was a, a novelty shop, there was a chip shop, there was a barber's, all sorts of things. And in the side of it, between there and the central, was the start of Castlemona Avenue. And Castlemona Avenue is the old entrance to the Castlemona. Before any of these buildings were on the prom, all this was the private grounds of His Grace the Fourth Duke of Athol. And you entered it by coming in here in your carriage and going along a long drive to the front of the hotel. That's quite a sweep, isn't it? It's a massive sweep. He owned a vast amount. The Castlemoner estate was huge. And in fact, he built the very first boarding houses or self-catering on the island in the 1820s, Strathallan these little ornate cottages that are still there so that his guests or any other wealthy residents could come over and play at being in, in rustic cottages. Makes you wonder why all of a sudden somebody said in the middle of a rendered sweep, let's put red brick. Yes. Um, that must have been a, a big investment as we've spoken it, about before. It must have been. I mean we do have red brick on the island in the railway stations and the Zurich building at the end of Athens Street because when the mining boats left Laxey with lead to North Wales, they brought the Ruaben brick back as ballast, and that was used. Uh, I don't know whether that is Ruaben brick, um, but it is, as you say, very striking and almost, well, I think, completely unique on the prom. There's no other building uh, with red brick. But it's still got the lovely cement stucco work, really wonderful design. Look how every window has got a different topping to it. I mean, there's no reason to do that, except you just want to make it look beautiful. It can be done. It can be done. Uh, what, what is that design feature there? A tower or something, sort of clad onto the side of the building? Yes, well, those are the sort of turrets, <laughs> I suppose. A good word? Yes, uh, I know they're vaguely medieval, but a lot of the uh, buildings did have these mansard towers. You can look over at the Empress. They've got two uh, conical uh, pyramids on the top. and the houses along where I was born in the Grasmere. It was part of the feature. They're just wooden structures covered in Welsh slate and they just give uh, a provenance to the building. As we walk past the end of Broadway, we come to, I suppose, two chunks of development. Yeah. One uh, five-storey quite high and then a, a little more modest one further up. 
these quite early? Yes, when the Duke of Athol finally left the Isle of Man in 1830 and took his ill-gotten gains with him, the Castlemona estate was gradually developed by a group sinisterly known as the Syndicate. They originally got formed to try and monopolise the supply of food and drink on the island, but everyone objected to that so much that they went into development. And they gradually, uh, they bought the Castlemona, it became a hotel in... Um, 1836 and the syndicate gradually sold off all the land in plots and the first two to be developed are the one we're looking at here which is Clarence Terrace and next to it the very elegant Regency style Esplanade and they were the first two. They were residential, they also had guests here and you could bathe in the sea of course on the bathing vans here and um, there's a wonderful account in the paper of gentlemen bathing in the uh, form of the Garden of Eden. In other words, there was naked bathing going on across the, the street here. Uh, and a lady complained to the town commissioner. And um, he had the bathers moved along the prom. And when he met her a few days later, he said, is everything all right now, madam? And she said, no, certainly not. My daughters are now using binoculars. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. The, the promenade, what? Promenade, you call that? Yeah, the next one along? Uh, Esplanade. Esplanade, sorry. The Esplanade, lovely buildings in there, reminding me so much of some of the industrial terraces that you see across, where the foreman's houses were at, the, at each end <laughs> and the houses were between, on a much, much grander scale. Yes, I, honestly, Bob, I don't think that's the case here. Right. They are extremely elegant with uh, Regency or late Georgian curved doorways, private garden in front, and the two... Uh, ends uh, uh, bookcasing it, if you like, with with the wonderful pillars and the pediments on top. I don't think you could say that looked anything like industrial it was cottages. Just the, the two ends, <laughs> like bookends. Yes, yes. No, you I don't sound convinced. I'm not. No, oh, right. no. Fine. It's a shame we can't introduce one of the hotels in the centre or one of the buildings in the centre to the magic world of paint. Yes. Um, you're quite right, that's possibly the only building on the prom that hasn't had a coat of paint. And I suppose it's a reminder of what <laughs> the whole prom would have looked like uh, from drab. the 1840s on. Drab, I'm afraid. Though brand new cement for many years does look bright and shiny. It's just when it gets dirty and weathered that it needs to be painted. But they've obviously decided not to paint that for whatever reason. Got bed and breakfast there again bed and breakfast and unfortunately dare I say the ubiquitous UPVC windows um, we're going to argue in a minute well I'm not arguing I'm just saying uh, certainly on the Esplanade they have kept the fenestration right so the shape of the windows has been retained we're coming along a bit farther along towards where the Empress Hotel is once again the buildings on the ends remarkable Yes, the Grosvenor. Well, that is a brilliant hotel, isn't it? Uh, the two of them there, and then um, uh, 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 several hotels which are much uh, simpler, probably maybe late uh, Regency, I don't know. But um, this, this area of the prom was developed much after the uh, lock prom, and a lot of these hotels are very much bigger than the lock prom boarding houses. And the Empress was a, was a very big hotel, of course, featured extensively in No Limit, the film with George Formby, that's where he stayed, uh, and now um, extended, I think, several houses have been knocked together and joined on to the Crescent. 
which is uh, an interesting building as well. Once again, the, uh, we'll call them conservatories on the front of the Empress. They've been designed, they've been considered. Yes, they work well. You've got to adapt these buildings to modern times and there is a way of doing it well and there's a way of doing it appallingly and they've done it very well. You know, I always say that unless a building has a commercial use, it's not going to survive unless the government buy it and they're not in the market for buying these buildings. So you have to allow the owners the flexibility to make them practical commercially but at the same time guide them, I would like to think, with the planning committee and the officers to do something that is respectful. Yeah, I worked with a developer down in the south of England and he said his joy at one time would be a planner coming to him and saying, now how can we develop this building? Well, that is, is very good and, you know, the Isle of Man has had lots of uh, advice, it's had lots of planning books put out, especially on the front here to offer you that advice and of course if you know I used to be on the planning committee in the 90s it's really valuable for the developer to talk to the planning officer to begin with before it even comes to the planning committee because he can say well there's no chance that's going to go through and here are the guidelines for this area for this conservation area and so on let's get that right before the committee even consider it. Next door to the Empress Hotel we have a newer building and once again the developer has tried matched it in with the old cinema building the cinema building with those amazing white tiles the crescent was actually only part of the original intended development there was to be a matching building on the other side which was never built but now that the apartments have been put up they have almost copied it exactly and strangely this new addition shows us what the original scheme would have been like if it had ever been built and I think it's very successful. It originally it was a single story Crescent Leisure Centre wasn't it? Uh, or, or in between in there. Between them, yeah. Well between the cinema and the Empress. Uh, the Crescent Leisure Centre was a later one there was a Piero theatre I remember going to the pantomime there in the 1950s there were all sorts of uh, there was a Kodak building to have your photographs developed actually it's pretty wretched most of the time it really did look run down I think what's there is a great improvement and I mean they've got a fabulous view they've got the sunrise every morning and the ever-changing sea and today the smell of seaweed thank goodness on radio we can't <laughs> smell the seaweed some quite what look the other side of the old cinema sort of utilitarian buildings yes they're very basic uh, I think early Victorian ones not much design in them are still pleasant they've still got lovely iron balconies and they're next to the start of the bigger boarding houses that this end of the prom uh, specialized in further on we have another new building with some design features that do make it sort of semi-iconic yes I mean the whole of that block actually used to be red brick I remember it well yeah. and the whole lot's been demolished it got rotten and there was no way it could ever be repaired. So they put up, uh, again, modern apartments. As you say, they're not quite as ornate as the buildings, uh, the Marlborough here on the corner, but they do the job. Uh, they've got the same bulking and size, which is good, and they fit in. It's the modern way. And they've got the balconies that we've spoken about in other buildings as well. Absolutely, yeah. Um, we just have a huge appetite for apartments on the island. It's astonishing. As we go further on, we, we have a development site at, at present, which holding up, once again, buildings of the same ilk. 
that we've seen along the prom. That's right. This, these are the famous the drives, um, which were developed in the 1880s, 1890s, part of the Castlemona estate. Again, the syndicate was involved. Castlemona Drive in the centre used to go up to the Olympia Sports Ground with a great Gothic entrance. Uh, and then there were the arches up there, which unfortunately collapsed some time ago. And the Imperial Hotel on the corner here has just been demolished, as you know. It stood empty for years. Uh, it was a huge hotel and very successful, but for some reason, um, it fell into disrepair and has been demolished and you see that great frame holding up the three boarding houses next to it. No doubt someone is planning a development. I see there are workmen there at the moment. Maybe there is some plan to replace it. Moving along to the Palace Hotel site on Douglas Promenade with Charles Gard, we are looking left at the Castle Mona, now falling into disrepair. No, in the past tense it has fallen into disrepair. It was built in uh, 1804-1805 by the fourth Duke of Athol, whose family had just been paid enormous amounts of money, having had their title and their tax revenues confiscated by the British government because they were allowing the smuggling to go on. And His Grace decided to build this, this massive um, pile here, the Castle Mona. Uh, with the shops, well the shops of course are Edwardian, put in front of it, it had lawns and as we've just discussed all this area with all these hotels stretching to Broadway were the grounds of the Castle Mona, very very elegant. You know the Athels, the fourth Duke complained bitterly to the British government that he wasn't given, his father wasn't given enough money and he got extra sums and I think by today's calculation the Athol family walked away with about 42 million pounds which, let's be honest, the Manx people had to foot the bill. And I often think one should write to the current Duke of Athol and say, look, can given your back? family, can we have a bit back? <laughs> Would you like to invest a bit in the Castle Mona? You know, not much chance of that happening. But, I can um, imagine the answer. <laughs> I can imagine the answer. Yeah, so some of the windows at the side are open and the scaffolding is up. The scaffolding has been there for quite a while. Well, it has. But you do see vans in there and lorries, so... Uh, it's a bit of a mystery what's happening to it. I do hope, uh, look at the windows, they're all, they are wood and rotten. And dare I say, don't replace them with UPVC. <laughs> I know, it, it, is, it is a fantastic building. Who knows what will happen? As far as I'm concerned, ruined by developers. Because you've got the elevation to the left-hand side, mm. and then you've got that awful extension to the right-hand side. The extension in the 60s and the bowling green, uh, the bowling uh, alley, I mean, that's got to come down. Uh, as yeah. far as I know, it's rotten. It's absolutely rotten. I'm sure it'll have to be demolished. I think there was a plan to originally have another wing on the other side when it was, was built, and His Grace didn't get round to it. I think that's right. Uh, but that goes now into the palace grounds, of course, where there used to be a fabulous 2,000-seat theatre, the biggest ballroom in Europe, cafes, the most wonderful entertainment centre, all of which has now been demolished, of course. And we have a series of concrete blocks, boxes, called the Palace Hotel. It's unfortunate about the Lido, isn't it? But I think it was just too big, wasn't it? Yes, I mean, people didn't do ballroom dancing anymore. No. Uh, it was too big, it was rock concerts, there were uh, trade fairs, all that sort of stuff. But again, if a building doesn't make money and the government aren't going to buy it, it has to go. It's come down, yeah. As we said, the Palace Hotel, which, as far as you are concerned, should not be retained well because I am saying it reflects architecture of a period but you are saying that the architecture of that period should not be retained well uh, 
not wholesale. I do love the sea terminal. I think that is elegant. It serves its purpose. I can't. I mean, the Palace Hotel. I'm sure is a wonderful, uh, a wonderful business, a wonderful hotel. But if you're asking me architecturally, yeah, it is the elevations uh, of it. A personal opinion would be uh, to remove it. Yes, definitely. But that might sound a bit harsh, but I mean, how can that possibly be described as fitting in with our great facade? Uh, but here? there again, you you would retain the the essence of the Glenmona, the central building of it. The Castle, Castle Mona. Mona. Sorry. Yes, yes, I would, simply because it was here before any of these other things here. And it is, yes, in stark contrast to the exuberant Victorian hotels, but it's much more an integral part of the island's history than the Palace Hotel ever will be. So all of a sudden we've got a vast development site right in the centre of Douglas. We have, we have, if that happens. If I mean, happens, yeah. who knows what will happen. You hear of it being demolished and new plans for this, that and the other, but again, this will go into my book of great schemes that never happened. Wow. Another building that we looked at from the far end of the prom is the apartment block next door to the Palace Hotel. Good, bad, indifferent? Uh, very bad. Partly because that's where I was born. The Grasmere Hotel was there, built in the 1890s, a smallish boarding house that my grandparents ran, and it was demolished, I think, in the 80s, and the so-called Queen's Mansions were put up, and they are just awful. I mean, they may be lovely inside, but what sort, what is that supposed to be? I mean, they should never have been allowed to do that, all the buildings next to them, because the Palace Terrace and Queen's Terrace, they, were, uh, they are a superb terrace of, of boarding houses, dating from the 1890s right up to 1910, and they've just been butchered at this end. I mean, really, come on, we mustn't allow that sort of thing to happen again. Are then the buildings further along? A blueprint for any further development on the island uh, uh, regarding the bay? On the bay here, yes, they definitely are. As, as we've seen towards the Loch Prom, it can be done. You know, they're still commercially viable. They are wonderful boarding houses. And further on, um, the recent developments there take that into account. There have been some awful ones just beyond, but way up by where Milne's Waverley used to be, now the Regency Hotel, they have done that sensitively and it works and it pays. And that takes us to the corner with the Hydro Hotel, which has got some good memories for you. It has. My father bought the Grasmere and then moved into the Hydro in about 1959 and ran it until he retired. Uh, I mean, a big hotel, uh, 180 guests on any one day, all having full board, cup of tea, half past seven, full cooked breakfast with cornflakes porridge or... Uh, grapefruit toast and everything, a full three-course lunch, homemade afternoon tea with homemade scones and everything, full three-course dinner at six o'clock and then supper at 9.30. Uh, you know, like 540 meals a day we were producing all through the season, as was everybody else. I mean, if you were successful and you were full, it was all hands to the pump, except mine. I didn't actually... Uh, work in the hotel. My sister well, did. How did you get out of that then? <laughs> All these memories of the hotel. I know. I've, got, I've got memories of you skivvying. No, my dad said he wanted me to have a childhood, which is very good of him. And as I grew old, he said, look, Charles, if, if you take over this hotel, I'm going to emigrate to New Zealand. Because the last thing I want is you ringing me up saying, Dad, the chef's not coming, can you come and help? So, But I had no intention of taking over the hotel, I can tell you. I saw how hard that work was. One of the things that we associate with the hotels, boarding houses, call you what they will, 
was there adapted use in the Second World War? Yes, my mother came home from school in uh, September 1939 and her mother uh, in the Grasmere here had a, a form saying that you are to get out of your hotel in a week. Pack your best possessions, you can have one room locked at the top floor and all the best furniture and everything would go into store in the Derby Castle. And for six years uh, they had to find somewhere else to live. They were paid a small rent. These were all uh, encased in barbed wire and as you see the pink uh, bit here now where they've relayed the, the horse trams. Until this was done a few weeks ago, you could still see the squares in between the tracks where the post holes were. So the palace camp here where uh, our two hotels were had Italians in and later when they left in the late 1933-34 special operations people came in and they had highly secret training for Morse code in these hotels and then after six months training the girls mostly girls were sent to the Y stations in England to decode the German messages which went down to Bletchley Park so top secret work was done in these hotels if you go around the back lane you can still see in the rock face rails sticking out with bits of barbed wire on that was to stop the prisoners escaping around the back and climbing up the cliffs so quite an extraordinary part of history. And of course, when everybody came back into the boarding houses in 1945, they were wrecked. The room at the top with the padlock on had long since been smashed open. The doors were broken. Uh, hoteliers were invited to go down to the Derby Castle to retain uh, tables and all the rest of it. And of course, first in, everyone was taking everybody else's everyone's stuff that was almost rioting down there. A, a, a lady in her 90s told me that her family also went down there. Her name began with W and because this reclamation was done alphabetically by the time her family get there there was nothing left at all so there was you know a terrible deprivation all the serviettes and the tablecloths had gone so there was the war office in London dealing with millions of displaced people in Europe and at the same time getting all these letters from boarding house keepers saying when are you going to replace our serviettes but having said that of course it was vitally important that in 1947 the tourist industry was back on its feet and a huge amount of reparation work had to be done because everybody wanted to come on holiday, especially the troops who'd come back from the most appalling time in Europe. Tourism was our lifeblood, so I don't blame the, the landladies for wanting to get back on their feet as quickly as possible. Landladies is a wonderful phrase and conjures up some wonderful <coughs> images. It does, and they did have a bad press and some of the postcards that were taking the mickey out of them were actually banned. But it's important to mention Alec Gill because he owned so many of these hotels, uh, well over 150 of them, and built half of Onken as well. He was a typical landlord. The landladies did not own their boarding houses. They paid rent mostly to him. Even my grandparents went up to Lucerne Villa, which is up Little Switzerland, and paid the rent every year. And he was a very... Rent yearly? Yearly. A payment at the end of the summer. Well, no, you, you couldn't you pay rent in the middle of the winter because you didn't have any money. Yeah. You had to have a good summer and then you went and paid rent. And fair dues to him, in the First World War, when all the hotels closed down and there was no trade, the government insisted that the landladies paid their rates and they came in and confiscated their beds and wardrobes and tried to sell them. There was rioting and demonstrations. Gill, who said, who, who was entitled to the rent, said to them, look, we know you're in trouble, don't worry about it, we'll sort it out after the war. Sadly, he died in January 1919 from flu. 
as you know, there was a massive worldwide epidemic of um, flu and it was brought back to the island and he was tragically one of the people who died from it. Some of the stories that you hear, the prisoners over here, they did quite well. I recently read Victor Spinetti's autobiography and his father was over here right. and he said he came back saying, I've had the best holiday and I've put on weight. I know, and my goodness, there was bitterness in the local press about uh, adverts any old tennis rackets and tennis balls so that they could play and the people were saying well why give them old ones why not buy them new ones they're in there having all this wonderful food and our lads are, are out you know on the, on the fields of Europe so there was a lot of resentment and of course if you weren't here you were probably going to be fighting in Europe so you were in a way very lucky to be in these hotels and looked after. As we look farther along the bay after the Hydro Hotel, not all that much development. The, the height gets lower and lower and lower. We get to Strathallan that you mentioned, the sort of the, the smaller cottages there. Yes, built, as I said, by the Duke of Athol in the 1820s. Cottage orné, they were, elegant oh. little cottages, and they still are. They're probably some of the oldest buildings on the prom. Uh, and of course the Derby Castle itself was a, uh, a lodge built by, I think, Colonel Pollock, and eventually it became a great music hall and theatre, and then the Manx Electric Railway started in 1873, uh, and that has been developed ever since. The hotels beyond the Hydra, as you say, there's very few of the original ones left. Most of the ones that have been replaced are about right, but where the Westlakes was, that was the first time the big hotels were knocked down, and those uh, apartments there are pretty gross, uh, architecturally, I'm afraid. And of course, we've got the lovely Terminus Tavern at the end, but when you look, and um, you've mentioned before about photographs, Derby Castle was an immense building. Immense, with, with its own grounds. And, uh, you know, if you were staying here, you never have to leave Douglas for a week because there was so much entertainment. You had the Palais de Dance, the villa, the Gaiety, the ballroom here, the theatre, the palace, the Derby Castle. It was an amazing amount of entertainment, and that's just in Douglas. It was money for old rope, really, because you had 600,000 people a year coming over here, and all these shops underneath the Castle Mona, there was a, a matching block here under the palace, they uh, closed all winter, but in the summer there was the Kodak shop, there was the sweet shop, the ice cream shop, uh, the souvenirs, the postcards. A lot of them run by English people who came over. Incredible. Tonight on Bob Interbuildings, I've been looking at the second part of A Douglas Promenade with Charles Gard. You can listen again to tonight's programme, plus previous programmes in this second series, and also the first series of Bob Interbuildings as podcasts at manxradio.com. So from me, Bob Harrison, good evening.